choices. We all have them. Pastor Ed Ray speaks of the greatest choice we are faced with in life. Listen, you cannot let anyone else make the decision for you about Jesus Christ. You and I are forced to make that decision ourselves. We can't say, well, my wife believes. My mom, she went to church all the time. It doesn't count. It's me. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place, God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Hello again, and welcome to Grow in Grace. You know, for quite some time now, we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke in a verse-by-verse fashion. Well, today, Pastor Ed Ray will highlight for us Luke's account of Jesus' appearance before Pilate. It's ironic to note that the only guiltless person in the room was the one who stood accused. Here's Pastor Ed with the details. And again, we're in Luke 22 today, talking about choices. Working our way through scriptures, verse 66. As soon as it was day, the elders and the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led Jesus into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, the Messiah, tell us. But Jesus said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, are you then the son of God? So Jesus said to them, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Then Pilate asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? He answered and said, it is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him arraigned him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate that very day. Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Then Pilate, when he called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chase him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas. 
who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I therefore chased him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests prevailed, so Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested, and he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. Choices, lots of choices in life. Someone sent me a list of these signs from marquee signs in front of churches. You know, they're real popular in the South. They change the message every week, some little pithy message. First one is, there are some questions that cannot be answered by Google. Most of you under 25 doubt that, but it is the truth. Prayer is wireless access to God with no roaming fee. God does not believe in atheists, therefore atheists do not exist. (laughs) Forgive your enemies, it messes with their heads. I don't think that's scriptural. (laughs) This one's in the deep south. Read the Bible. It will scare the hell out of you. (laughs) Artificial intelligence is no match for natural stupidity. This is good. Free trip to heaven. Details inside. God answers knee mail. That's good, too. Salvation guaranteed or your sins cheerfully refunded. (laughs) In my personal favorite, life has many choices. Eternity has two, smoking or (laughs) non-smoking. Ouch, okay. Choices, we all face choices every day. Most of them are not too significant. You know, like do you want onions on your hamburger or anchovies on your pizza? The only real consequences are bad breath and maybe bad dreams if you eat it too late, right? Well, there are other things that have more serious consequences. You know, you're late for work, and should you run that yellow light or not? You're alone, and the carpool lane is so empty. What's that flashing red light behind me kind of thing? But there are some choices that are even more serious than that, that have consequences that are far-reaching. We all know people who have made terrible decisions, terrible choices in life that fragmented their life, that destroyed relationships, families, etc., The scriptures before us are about choices. The choice is always around Jesus, and actually, the real choices in life that matter are always around Jesus, too. Do we do what he wants us to do, or do we do what we want to do, or the crowd says to do? Well, this first section is the choices that the Sanhedrin faced that day, their Supreme Court of Israel, 66 through 71. And then a man faces a choice, Pontius Pilate. He's the Roman governor in verse 1 through 7. He thinks he's the judge, but it turns out he's being judged. Herod is the next person with choices in this story, the ruler of the Galilee region, King Herod, and he, in verse 8 through 12, also has a decision to make, thinking he can judge God the Son. And then the last one is an interesting one, the crowd themselves, filled with people from all different walks of life, and the majority of the crowd, the mom, has a choice between Barabbas and Jesus in verse 13 through 25, and of course, we know that they chose Barabbas. Well, that's interesting. Barabbas represents everything that is man-made, that man tries to do. Jesus represents everything that's divine, that God is doing. How strange, when given a choice for a redeemer, they choose this rebel, this robber. 
When given a choice for a savior, they take a sinner. They chose a man instead of Emmanuel, God who came, who dwelt in our midst. Barabbas is uh, guilty of insurrection. He led a rebellion. It led to murder. Some people were killed in the process. And he was also a thief, we're told by John. They chose him over Jesus. Why? Well, because Jesus makes us feel guilty because we are. And it's so much easier to go with the sinner, with the crowd. Barabbas represents a kind of false messiah, a false savior who would try and help people, tries to save the people through the overthrow of the government, through killing people. Jesus will save the world by allowing himself to be killed. So the innocent goes to the cross, and the guilty goes free. Hmm. Sounds like you and me. Let's jump in and look at it. The Sanhedrin is first, verse 66. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, the chief priests and scribes came together and led Jesus into their council. Why day? There's six trials that are going to go on here. Two of them have already happened. The first one's before Annas, the high priest that's chosen by the Jews that the Romans didn't like, so they put in a different high priest, Caiaphas, and Caiaphas and Annas both had meetings at night. They were related, father-in-law, son-in-law. And so it was an illegal court. It was against Jewish law to have court in the dark at night. So now they meet to give it as a semblance of some kind of legality. And he brings them before, Jesus is brought before their Supreme Court, 70 men plus one, 70 leaders and one who is the high priest. So he's going to appear before them. This is Grow in Grace, and we're in Luke today with Pastor Ed Ray. Here he is with the second half of our study. And they begin to interrogate him, if you are the Messiah, if you are the Christ, tell us. But he said, if I tell you, you won't believe me. Why bother? Why talk to you about it? You've already made up your mind. And if I ask you anything, you won't answer me, verse 68, or let me go. So you've already made up your mind. No answer will satisfy you. So why bother? I will tell you one thing, though. And the next statement should have brought a chill to the room. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. When you see me again, clearly, Jesus said, you will see me in the position that I hold and have held from before time began, sitting at the right hand of Father God, God the Son. Wow. So they thought they were judging him, but the judge of all the earth was right in front of them. What an opportunity to ask questions. How did you make the flower open? (laughs) The sun comes out. I mean, so many things, but they missed it. They said, are you then the son of God? The son of God. Are you the son of God? Now, this is a very important question. Pause with me just a minute. This is a statement about deity, about the divinity of Christ. Now, every cult that I'm aware of diminishes the divinity of Jesus Christ. Tries and say that he is something less than that. Now, we, we come from all different backgrounds. I know some of you have... Jehovah's Witness background, we have ex-Mormons and people from the Way International and all sorts of cults. Every one of them, though, to my knowledge, says that either Jesus is a created being or a God 
just like a whole bunch of other gods, and you can be God too. <laughs> One thing is certain, you're not God. <laughs> Neither am I. Thank God, we're not, right? There is a God. But they say that the Jesus is a created being. Well, pastor, why are you so uptight about that? What's wrong with that? Just you know, He's the firstborn of the creation. He's the first creation, right? Wrong. It takes all the force, all the moral and ethical force out of him dying on the cross for the sins of men. How could a created being offset the weight of the sins of the whole world? Let me say it another way. Let's say I wanted to offer a sacrifice for my own sins and I decide to make something. How about a balsa wood airplane? That's a crazy illustration, but I would make this little airplane, I'd paint it up, look at it real nice, and then I'd put it on an altar and say, God, please forgive my sins, and I'd set a match to it. I made it. Why would that have any moral force to offset my sins? It doesn't. So how could God create a sacrifice to be sacrificed and then sacrifice it and say that it has any moral force? It doesn't. However, if God himself would come and allow his creation to kill him, then the weight of the sins of 6.4 billion people alive at this instant and the other 10 or 12 billion who have lived up till now, depending on who you believe, and how many other billion will live before Jesus comes. I'm hoping he comes today, but he could. Wait. The sin of all those billions of people have to have something of substance, weight, glory. That's what the word glory means. Something of significance to offset the weight of the sins of the whole world. This is God. Jesus says, I'm him. You said it. You rightly said I am. Now, I've heard people try to argue with this on my front door step. <laughs> well, he's, he's not saying he's God. Listen, you might try and argue with that, but they didn't have any argument. They knew exactly what he meant. What further testimony do we need, verse 71? You've heard it with our own mouths. This blasphemy. He claims to be God. Let's kill him. They knew he was claiming to be God the Son. How could they miss it? He says it plainly to them, and they still don't stop and go, hey, wait a minute, guys. What if we're wrong? Somebody needed to say, well, somebody did, Joseph of Arimathea, who would take Jesus down from the cross with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a member of the high court. At least he was saying, no, 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 no. But they didn't listen. They had a choice, and they failed to listen. Second person that has a choice, in this case it's an individual, is Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. Why? Why take him to Pilate? Why not just put him to death? Because in 15 AD, the Roman Empire said, that's enough with those pesky Jews. They don't get to kill anybody anymore. They're killing too many. They took away the right of capital punishment from the nation. And a nation that doesn't have capital punishment doesn't have rule over that area, is no longer in control of their country. And they understood that. The Jews understood that. And in 1580, the high priest went to the streets of Jerusalem with his clothing ripped, weeping because the word of God had been broken, he thought. It's not going to happen. But that's what he thought. He thought because of Genesis 49, where Jacob pronounces a prophecy that the scepter, the rule, will not go from Judah, from the nation of Israel, until Shiloh, until the man of peace, until the Messiah comes. Well, 15 AD, the high priest says, we've just lost the rule, the word of God is null and void, it's been broken, we should weep. But a 15-year-old boy 
was working in a carpenter shop just 70 miles away. God, the son. So Pilate comes, is the governor. He's the, the sixth Roman governor of that region. And he's a guy in political trouble. He's blown it. He shows up with his Roman legions, and he marches them up to the fortress of Antonio, which just happens to be on the Temple Mount, which just happens to be the sacred ground of the temple. And he takes up banners of the face of Caesar and a Roman eagle. And they're carrying their banners, and the Jews go crazy because it's an emblem that speaks to them of an image to be worshipped. And he has to use force to stop them. Many Jews are killed. Turns into a riot. Word gets back to Rome. Caesar sends him a little note. That's one, Pilate. (laughs) Don't do that. Well, he decides to do something good. So he brings a new aqueduct in. Doubles the size of the existing one. But he runs out of money. So he steals money for the temple treasury. Politicians haven't changed any in 2,000 years. We'll stop right there. And he steals the money from the temple treasury. That leads to another riot. Gets a second note from Caesar. That's two. No number three or you're out of here. So he's a man under political pressure. Now, it became very popular in the 1700s and still continues to this day with people who have intellectually challenged who say that Pontius Pilate isn't mentioned anywhere else in history, so he must not have existed. This is just a book of fables. It's a book of myths. But then in 1961, an Israeli helicopter flies over the beach at Caesarea by the sea. They notice this big circle. They send an archaeological team. They start digging, and they pull out a hunk of rock. And on the rock, it says, Hiberium Pontius Pilate Maximus. Pontius Pilate, chiseled in stone. What do you do with that? Okay, well, the Bible's right about Pontius Pilate, but none of these other characters are in there. And then 1990, by the way, if you go to the Israeli Museum, you can see this. You should go to Israel. If you're a believer, you need to go to Israel. It will change your view of Scripture. This little box showed up. And over on the left-hand side, it says Caiaphas. This is the high priest's bone box. They found it in 1990. And you can see it. The guy who stood over this trial we're looking at this morning, there's his bone box. But then, one more just for fun, in the Israeli museum right next to it, you'll see a little stone. They said, well, the whole King David thing, it's just crazy. There's no David mentioned in history. 1993, they dig up this little stone. It says the house of David under. It's in northern Israel and at Tel Dan. Now, some people tell me, well, archaeology is proving the Bible. No, 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 no. (laughs) It's the other way around. Archaeology, given another 50 years, will finally agree with what the Bible has been saying for 2,000 years and more. So embrace it. One other interesting thing, back to Pilate, Hiberia was the area that Pilate came from, and it stuck there. He's called Hiberian, Pontius Pilate. And that is Northern England, actually Northern Ireland and Scotland today. So Pilate wasn't Roman at all. It turns out that he's a, uh, an Englishman or a Scotsman to be more direct. So here we have a man from Western Europe, if you will, and he came to Rome, 
met the granddaughter of, of the emperor, married her, and got this position. But he's a guy that's blown it in a couple other places, and he's in trouble. So they begin to bring the charges because they need him to find some charges so that he can kill Jesus, so he can order his death because only the Romans had the power. And it couldn't be for religious reasons. It had to be for some political reason. So they begin to stack the deck. Verse 2, we found this fellow perverting the nation, forbidding them to pay taxes to Caesar. <laughs> That's how you get a politician's attention. No taxes? Wait a minute, he must be a horrible person. Saying that he himself is king. He's the Messiah. Well, the first two are out like outright lies, perverting the nation and saying no pay taxes. We have the words of Jesus saying, go render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. But the third one, he really couldn't argue with that. He says he's a king. Oh, he's a king. <laughs> he's the king of kings. He is the Messiah. And he will rule and reign over all these people here who think they're judging him. So Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, the force in the original language is you, the king of the Jews? Interesting. Jesus didn't look to be significant. In fact, Isaiah said that there wasn't any beauty in him that he would be comely, that he would be attractive to us. He would have just looked like a normal, everyday Jew in that day. And Pilate says, you? You're the guy causing all this trouble? Come here a little closer. Let's talk. And they have this discussion. Pilate is not impressed with his look, but he asks Jesus the question. So Jesus answers him, why? Because he's trying to get to Pilate. Pilate has a choice to make. Pilate has a decision. It is as you say. I love it. You said it. <laughs> That's pretty short and to the point. Well, Pilate gets it, and he believes it. Verse 4. Pilate said to the chief priest in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. The first of three times that he would publicly state Jesus' innocence. Okay? Well, they're getting desperate. So they start shouting, all the more fierce. Have you noticed that in an argument when you start losing? <laughs> you start yelling louder. Those of you that married know what I'm talking about. <laughs> he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Their hearts are locked in. They've already made their decision. They want Pilate to make his decision. But they mentioned Galilee. When Pilate heard of Galilee, verse 6, he asked if the man was a Galilean. Pilate is excited. He's got it out. He's got a political problem. He doesn't want to strip the Jews. It's Passover. He's up there from Caesarea to keep everything settled down. And here's the chance to pass the choice off, the decision. Give it to somebody else. Listen. You cannot let anyone else make the decision for you about Jesus Christ. You and I are forced to make that decision ourselves. We can't say, well, my wife believes. My mom, she went to church all the time. <laughs> it doesn't count. It's me. God doesn't have any grandchildren. He only has children. So each of us must decide what we'll do with Jesus. We can't avoid this decision as Pilate attempted to do. Join us next time as we continue through our study of the New Testament here on Growing Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. For a CD copy of today's message from the book of Luke, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org when it's most convenient. And to help you grow in grace, 
we'd like to recommend Pastor Ed's daily devotional. It's accessible online at thepackinghouse.org. Our featured resource this month is Tale of Three Kings, authored by Gene Edwards. And I'm sure we've all experienced pain, loss, or heartache at the hands of other believers, and it can be a confusing time. But rather than turn bitter and angry, you can experience healing and hope. Gene Edwards looks at David, Saul, and Absalom. I know you'll be touched as you read this story. We'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. And please remember, it's your support that helps us bring these teachings to the radio every day. Call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We love hearing from our listeners. Let us know how we can pray for you and what you're getting out of this study. Tell us your story of how you've been growing in grace. That would be so encouraging to hear. Drop us an email today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. And then join us next time as together we grow in grace through a study in Luke with Pastor Ed Ray. May God richly bless you as you grow in grace. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now build with hands And in this place gotta dwell with man Sick be healed and the crippled stand Singing hallelujah My kingdom built with the blood of my son Selfless sacrifice for everyone Faith, hope, love and harmony I said let this world know me by your